Welcome to Machine Learning. Well, I uh, am getting close to finishing up my hypothesis testing, and it's really quite interesting. Um, this course on statistics, part two, was uh, introduced quite a few different tools for analyzing data and uh, checking our assumptions based on probability or odds or the chance. And um, I was actually looking at some cometrics, which I took a course in college, uh, started it. I didn't finish it, but I took it from one of my favorite professors, uh, Dr. Richard Miller. And uh, he was, uh, we, I, I, I had studied with a year with him on uh, computer graphics and AI and you know, did a lot of uh, pretty good maths. We asked, we just explored different math equations like Jacobins, orthogonal matrices, transformation matrices. We derived the rotation matrices using our orthogonal base matrix and uh, did a lot of uh, mathematics for that year. Real fun and uh, very enlightening. But, uh, I was looking at the, some of my notes on Cominetrics, and it was interesting because you take, uh, it, it uh, was dealing with uh, uh, fractals, or factorials, sorry. And um, factorial, all it is, is you're, you take, uh, so if you do um, uh, multiplications in a series, so you would take, uh, for five, it would be five, four, three, two, one, and you take five times four times three times two times one. <clears throat> that becomes a factorial. Then the cominetrics are the uh, combinations. So they, they represent factorials. Um, and then you look at how many uh, combinations or you look at like how many items you have and how and how many what uh, the number you want to take in terms of number of ways to combine those combinations. So for example, if you have 10 seats, but you want to see how many combinations you could have by combining two at a time, then you would use cominetrics. Now permutations are almost like a cominetric, uh, combinatorial, I think it's called combinatorial, uh, combination in that uh, the divisor has one less factorial value. So you take uh, the factorial divided by C minus R factorial times C factorial um, or yeah, on the denominator, and that becomes your cominetric. And then the permutation is less the C factorial. But when you get done with it, you're, you're really, what you're looking at is the odds of something occurring. And it's really interesting because mathematically, it, your odds could be really good um, that you would ha be a, have a chance to be sitting on a certain seat or you're, uh, depending on the number of ways of the combination, that you, you know, like if you were uh, gambling and you're trying to figure out whether to, to draw another card or not, 
if you knew the possible combinations um, and your odds, then you would follow those algorithms for whether you held or you drew. And uh, it's also probably true about odds in terms of probability of, of things happening in occurrences. But we're not used to thinking that way. So we, um, we don't, uh, you know, we don't think in terms of, of uh, mathematical numbers and odds. And I'm sure like if there, if you looked at the odds of being in an accident, if you ran through a red light, um, and if you did the, if you did the probabilities, then you would probably want to not run through red lights because there is going to be a high probability that you, depending on, on, uh, on the different combinations that it could occur at that intersection, uh, that that could occur. But one of the interesting things is people run those red lights because they don't get caught. And I wonder if in the future, um, that, uh, at those intersections, if an individual runs a a red light that, uh, you know, an automated camera sends them a, a ticket and they, um, they get, uh, you know, they have to, uh, go explain to the judge why they ran that red light. So those are interesting things when it comes to odds. Um, and so there can be some kind of uh, incentives for people to not uh, uh, follow certain rules. And but if you take away those incentives, then uh, then you, maybe you get better conformity. So anyway, the null hypothesis—that's an interesting approach. So you look at you look at. Uh, two groups, you make a null hypothesis, and then you try to to prove it wrong. Now, the way you can prove it wrong is by uh, looking, uh, summing, and the the means, and then dividing by the number of occurrences. And then you you do a threshold. It's kind of a, uh, if it falls below the observed value and then you calculate a p coefficient or a p value based on that threshold and those those averages then you can say that they're um, that your your hypothesis is true if it has a low p value if it has a high p value then it's probably false it means that there's lots of error so it's interesting this idea of null hypothesis because it becomes almost like a binary classifier on a logistic regression. Um, and then as I was thinking about it, you know, that uh, the, the the null hypothesis is great because you can take you can take a you can take data. For example, one I'm working on now is looking at. Uh, data between 1975 and 2012 for a type of finch. There's a Scandon and a forest finch. And I'm looking at their beak size. 
Okay, so the conclusion, the null hypothesis would be that the big size of the finch has changed over time. Maybe we're looking, so there's two coefficients that were tracked. One is depth and one is length. And if the, um, if the depth of the beak is changing, then it's adapting to its environment. So we could say um, that uh, we could conclude that over time the, the, there's some adaption that's occurring with the, with the finch. However, if we think about it and we make that conclusion, I, so what, what I did is I built a, a swarm plot and the swarm plot looks different. So you, we could conclude that he thinks something's changing here. The distribution looks like it's changing. The widths look like they, you know they're they're getting bigger for the finch. Um, maybe the diet's improving and the finch is getting bigger. Something in its environment uh, has uh, affected the finch so that its big size is bigger. And we're not really talking that many years. So we're not talking millions of years or thousands of years. We're talking between 75 and 2000, uh, 2012. And so um, 25 plus 12, you know, that'd be, what, 40 years? So 40 years of, uh, of adaption has caused bigger beak size. Anyway, so now what I need to do is uh, do my comparison to find out what my differences are in my observed based on the averages, um, then build my um, my p-value, and then make sure my p-value is very small that it doesn't it doesn't exceed the threshold. Maybe build a histogram so I could do a histogram on on it, and then uh, look at my observed uh, value and then make sure that uh, it doesn't, uh, there's no occurrences that go over the observed value. And then I can say, yeah, that the big sizes did increase uh, for the finch over time. So my hypothesis then would be true. And that's kind of the, the cool thing about null hypothesis is that you, you um, uh, make a, you look, you have some idea based on some observations, then you make a guess then you gather your data, and uh, then you uh, analyze your data visually and see if you get a good feel for it, get an understanding of what's going on in the data, and then uh, try to prove out using these coefficients to see uh, how, what, what um, is happening. Now, it's interesting because several lectures or talks ago when I was podcasting, I was talking about XGBoost. And one of the things that they do is they have an F1 score. And uh, when you're looking at the features, you can look at the P, ver the P coefficient. And those P coefficients then tell you what features are contributing to the outcomes. And so statistically, I guess you could say you could figure out when you're looking at uh, uh, features and you're comparing them, you can see if there's any correlation. Um, and if you can find things like, uh, maybe you put it through a, a Pearson 
um, coefficient equation, you can see if, if thing, these two features are correlated. Maybe there's a correlation to uh, uh, the finch's diet in its beak size, or maybe there's a correlation to the type of particular foods on this island. Maybe the, the, the nuts are harder to crack with its beak or something, or uh, they require, you know, a, a stronger beak size. And so, you know, the, the finch is adapting that way. Um, and and uh, as far as I know, I don't know about the breeding of the finch, but maybe there was an introduction on the island to uh, a, a species of finch that was bigger. And so there was, maybe there was some crossbreeding among the species, and that led to uh, a larger finch size. So those are some questions that would you could start to ask. And, and um, you know, one thing that I remember back in the day when I was studying expert systems, which is no longer, you know, the, the cool thing to say, it's now all machine learning, but... Uh, was to go ask an ex- expert. So when you're doing knowledge-based engineering, you don't know everything. But what you you want to do is you want to find an expert because they have um, a wealth of knowledge. You know, they they study in detail, comprehensively, uh, this what their domain that they're knowledgeable in, and so they they have a, a strong discipline and a, a lot of rigor in the subject matter that they know a lot about. So you want to go find that expert because they can be very helpful. And um, I remember I went and talked to a football coach because I had to build an expert system to predict uh, um, which which team would win the Super Bowl. So I, I wanted to find out which features, engineering features, uh, to focus on to gather my data. And... So I needed to know what was important in football. So I went to talk to the football coach and got an appointment with him. And, and he, he told me um, that the running game was important because it, you, know, it, you gain yards against your opponent. Um, but that the throwing game, which would be the, uh, was more important because you could move the ball faster down the field. And statistically, you could get more points. So... He said that if you had a, a team that could throw, it would probably be um, better in terms of, of uh, performance than uh, running. But so anyway, I, uh, I took it into account. I went and gathered a lot of information. Um, I talked to a mathematician. We built a game theory. I think it was a, there was an alpha coefficient, and it probably was based on some sort of Bayesian logic, but he used game theory. And what we did is we put one team against another and then figured out a probability. What I needed to know was the probability. And so just like uh, with this null hypothesis, I need to find a probability that uh, my, my hypothesis is true or false. I needed to also figure out a way to do that. And so what I did is I fed a lot of data uh, to determine using game theory, fed a lot of data to uh, get a probability. So I did the yards running. I could did comparisons between uh, teams during the year, 
gathered a lot of information from the newspapers and then fed that into a database and then made my prediction, used the Bayesian network to, uh, based on those probabilities, uh, if the two teams were to, to uh, play against each other and then uh, work through multiple layers to get a final conclusion. And it was interesting because my, my analysis was correct and it ended up being San Francisco versus uh, the Cowboys and my algorithm was the only one in the class that was correct.